And um, but if this passage doesn't wake you up, we need to call nine one one. So let me open in prayer. Lord, we just commit this time to you. We've had a great time up here. We're starting to look forward to going home, but in these minutes, help us to focus on the most important thing in our life, and that's you and your love for us. Help us to leave this place today with a deeper, full-heart commitment to you and to seek to grow in your love. We just commit this time to you now. In your name, amen. So I'm going to start off by going back to 1645. 1645, there was a Puritan named Thomas Goodwin. He was preeminent in England. Richard Sibb said of him, he is second in his preaching ability only to Paul. He was very bright and articulate, and he was wrestling with the question. And that question was, how is Christ's heart disposed to us now that he is in glory? Is it different than when he walked the earth? Is the heart of Christ toward us the same as when he walked this earth? And what is his heart? We need to think of it this way. What is his heart toward you in this room right now? What is his heart toward me in this room right now? One of the passages that Goodwin used in his <coughs> discourse, or in his book, um, is the passage we're going to look at today. It was a passage he used, and when I read it, it just lit up things for me like I'd never seen before. And that was two years ago. Um, in our Bible study, we've been studying the Upper Room Discourse. We started um, by watching uh, James Ferguson's 12-part series, which warmed us up, and then we've been in intense study since June uh, on the Upper Room Discourse. We finish it next week, and we finish it with this passage. <clears throat> the words that we're going to talk about, and I'm going to read the passage here in a second, the words are not theoretical. They are the Word of God, the Word of Christ to us. And they speak of the reality of our relationship with, God, with Jesus and his love for us. Our faith is it's not intellectual, it's not theoretical, it's not philosophical, it's relational. And that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants to be in close, personal relationship with him. Let's, um, let me read the passage that we're going to be looking at. We're John chapter 17. Verses 20 to 26. Excuse me if I sniff a little bit, but I've had a cold for the last winter. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, 
and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire, uh, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you've given to me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. Sounds like what a lot of what we looked at this morning, doesn't it? O righteous Father, although the world has not known you yet, yet I have known you. These have known that you sent me. I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Verse 20 is a transition from the second part of, of the Upper Room Discourse, which Louise covered this morning. Uh, a cursory reading of the Upper Room Discourse might make you think the second section is about the apost- future apostles only. Um, and there is some direct instruction to them. But this verse makes it clear who Jesus was praying for 2,000 years ago. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So I read verse 21 too, that's okay. So Jesus makes it clear who he's praying for. He's praying for those who come to faith through the words of the apostles. That's you, and that's me. He was praying for us 2,000 years ago when he was facing betrayal, desertion, torture, hanging on a cross and death. And yet, at moments before his rest would come, he is praying for us. I mean, that's amazing. Um, because he had known us from before creation. He's praying for us just before he does his work of justification, redemption. After the ascension of Jesus, God's redemptive plan is carried now forward through the church. Um, The church is built on the cornerstone of Christ. It's founded on the teaching and the writings of the prophets in the Old Testament. And these men sitting around this table, listening to Jesus and some others from later on. It's built up by those who have come to faith in Christ through the teaching of the apostles, the men who are sitting there for 2,000 years. And so when you think of the church, it has a very important function in the plan of God to put forward his gospel. Now again, keep in mind that all of this that he's talking about here um, is just before he dies on the cross for us. What did he pray for? What did he pray for you? What did he pray for me? That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He prayed for all those who come to faith through the ministry of the apostles would be one in unity. He's not talking organizational unity here. He's not saying 
all the churches have to have the same structure and the same order of worship and all of that. What he's talking about is relational unity. A unity that is characterized by the loving relationship between the Father and the Son from eternity past and now in the present and into eternity in the future. That's the kind of love we are to love one another with. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. He's praying that the Father and the Son, who had been in loving unity, as I said, would come <coughs> unity, that those who come to faith would be in loving relational unity with us and the Father and the Son. Why? Well, he explains. The last part of verse 21 says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Christ has repeatedly challenged in the upper room discourse time and time again the importance of loving one another in unity, in the unity of the relationship with him. Listen to what he wrote in John 13, 13 and 14. He's just washed the apostles' feet, or the disciples' feet. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord, the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Again in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then one more. John 14, 12 and 13. Excuse me, John 15, 12. And 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And these next words are really poignant when you think about what he is facing. Um, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So what did he do in a few hours for them and for us? He died on the cross for us. We are the body of Christ. We are to reflect His love. We are to love as He loved, a love that reflects the love of God the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. And this is what builds up the church. In, <coughs> in Ephesians 4, where Paul lays out the, the basic structure of the church, and you notice it's very general. There's not specifics about what a church should look like, which makes it very adaptable to all kinds of cultures and different differences. But anyway, he says in verse 13, let's start at verse 12, chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith. There's that word, unity and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature and the fullness that belongs to Christ. And then when you get to the end of verse, of verse 16, he says, 
and the body builds itself up in love. So the love we have for one another is crucial in the building up of the body of the church. Sinclair Ferguson wrote um, a book that I'd highly recommend. It's called uh, The Upper Room Discourse, and I think the rest of it is um, The Heart of Christ or something like that. Sinclair Ferguson, The Upper Room Discourse. He says this, this is why the love for uh, the love that people see in the church between us is important. Sinclair Ferguson wrote, "When all, when Christ is all, to us, and we recognize that He indwells us by His Holy Spirit, a bond of fellowship and love is created that is unparalleled in the world. There is no place in the world that you see the closeness and the fellowship that we have shared with each other this weekend." heartfelt, sacrificial, caring, loving. And that's what attracts people to Jesus. The most important evangelical institution in, in this world is the church. Street evangelism is good. Uh, rallies are good. But it is the church that God has attended, intended to put forward um, the gospel message and that is seen in how we love one another in our church. Verses 22 and 23. <clears throat> I have it written out so it's easy to see up here in the start. Okay, verse start, starting in verse 22 of John 17. The glory which you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Jesus goes on to pray that the glory that God had given to him, he would give to us. What is this glory? Well, he makes it clear at the end of that sentence um, that they may be one, just as we are one. The glory that he speaks of here is unity among the believers. And he prayed that this unity of the loving relationship between the Father and the Son would be seen in us. We see this repeated over and over, haven't we? This morning and in this passage. And repetition is important to understand. If you see ideas repeated, they have significance and they have importance. Excuse me. He goes on to say in verse 23 that the unity between the Father and the Son would be perfected in us. He prays that it would be perfected in us so that the world would know Christ and see his love lived out in us. So how does that perfecting happen? It happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. If you think of John 15, 9, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. So how do we abide in his love? We can't do it by ourselves, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So you have the whole of the Trinity involved in relationship with us. 
was an eye-opener to me as I was reading this to realize that. The Father sent the Son to save those who believe, John 3.16, and to sense that God's love for those who believe in Jesus is intensely personal, deep, and eternal. Just as the love between the Father and the Son is deeply intense, deep, and personal. Verse 24 to me is one of the most compelling verses in Scripture. It, um, I first really read it with any kind of understanding when I was reading in Thomas Goodman's The Heart of Christ, and it just opened my eyes and opened my heart. Um, listen to these words, and then we'll comment on it. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, that they is you and is me, whom you've given to me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you've given to me. For so you loved me before the foundation of the world, and loved us before the foundation of the world. That word desire, I think I'm teaching out of the New American Standard. I think it's kind of a weak translation of the original word. Um, what it means is to deeply yearn for. Deeply yearn for. Connotations of strong emotion. As Thomas Goodwin would say, he yearns for us from his bowels. We'd say at the gut level or at the heart. Every fiber of his being, he yearns for you right now. Right now. Not just in the future, but in the present. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He's yearning for you right now. So how important are we to Jesus? Luis this morning referenced a passage that I'm probably going to read twice this, morning, this afternoon. And it's Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And I want to read it again and make some comment. This is how much Jesus loves you right now. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with a thing to be, as a th uh, with a God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being found in the likeness of men. This is God Himself taking on the form of humanity. Think about how restraining that was. This is the one through whom all things were created, and He became human for us. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's how much he loves us. And he's yearning for us today from glory. It's mind-boggling. It's almost inconceivable to think of the depth of that love. Um... 
I'll make some more comments about that later. <coughs> Excuse me. He goes on to say in verses 24 and 25, as he closes off his prayer, minutes from betrayal, minutes from his guys deserting him, Peter denying him, going through six trials, sham trials, suffering abuse and humiliation and dying on the cross. And this is what he was thinking in his mind and praying for at this time. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. The guys in the room, and we know that Christ the Father sent the Son. I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. And he closes off his prayer, and he ends his prayer with that. He uses, and Luis alluded to this today, there's three times that there's an adjective connected to Father. And in this uh, verse, in verse uh, 25, he says, O righteous Father, indicating the holiness of God. That's why the world doesn't know him. Because they don't know the holiness of God. They reject it. They fight against it. But he says, I have known you. And I think the known there is more not so much knowledgeable, uh, but it's a relational. Known him in deep relationship. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. He is the visible manifestation of God. And the love he loves us with is the love of the Father. Philip asked him in John 14, 9, he says, show us the Father. How did he answer? See me, you've seen the Father. John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time. Only the begotten of God is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Jesus has made known the Father to us. He has made known His love to us so that we can love the Father and the Son in eternal relationship. And to bring it into an application, that's the kind of love we are to love one another. How much does Jesus love us? I want you to do some visualization now. If you feel like closing your eyes, that's, that's okay. Um, but I want you to visualize a situation. You're standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. <coughs> it's, it's early in the morning. The sun's below the horizon. You've been fishing all night. You're tired. Caught nothing. And Jesus appears on the beach calls out to you, fish on the other side of the boat. And they get a big haul of fish. And so you go in and he's got breakfast for you, broiled fish and bread. What better breakfast could you have? And then he says to you, <coughs> um, 
walk up the beach with me a ways. I want to ask you a question. So you walk a while in silence. Jesus turns to you and says, what he said to Peter, he loved me. How you answer that question is not seen so much in what we say, it is seen in how the reality of how we express our relationship with him in our homes, our church, families, world. That's the reality of the answer we would give to Christ. Um, when Jesus asked that question of Peter in John 21, he wanted him to understand something. He wasn't just looking for the answer. He was wanted Peter to understand do you love me? Do you love me with the love that I have loved you? And he says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, take care of my sheep. Because he knew that Peter was going to head up the church and start the church and be important in that. And he wanted him to understand that it's going to be a cost. It's going to be a cost, just as it was for Jesus. Are you willing to love others as you love me, Peter? The highest priority we have in our church is to grow a loving relationship with the Lord. And understand that we are in relationship with Him. Relationship takes time. How much time did you spend with Him this week? How much time did I spend with Him? The greatest joy we can know in life is not found in our successes or our careers or our families or how much money we have or how big our house is. It's found in our relationship with Jesus. As he says, <coughs> me. as he says in uh, Matthew 11, uh, 28 to 30, come, take, and learn from me. That's his response for you today. The idea we should come away with. Come to Jesus, take from him, and learn, or learn and take however it goes. Amen. Let me pray. Almighty God, we know that you hear us when we pray with hearts that are not proud, but hearts that open to are open to listen to the word that you have for us. We pray that you pour out your peace and mercy upon us, which we do not deserve. We thank you for your forgiveness for our sinful thoughts and actions. And most of all, we thank you for your love. For, for the love you manifested for us, showing us the heart, your heart. Help us to leave here yearning as you yearn for us that we would yearn, yearn for you um, and go with us from this place and guide us and lead us we pray. Amen Luis mentioned that the word was important the word is God's message to us if you want to grow in the heart of Christ you get in the book and read it you get on your knees and you pray and you take the time you need to to do that. Now I know uh, 
Some of you are busy. I watched Livy wash out a towel with baby puke in it. And I know you moms have, you know, challenging times. And you guys have hard jobs. I know Mike's snowed under at work. And there's others that are you that are struggling. Turn to the Lord. Turn to Christ. <coughs> Everything, <coughs> excuse me. If I've learned anything in my life, it is that anything I do, work, home, family, whatever, needs to be filtered through the love of Christ. Amen. Good job, Bob.